Part One, Chapter One of *The Pride of Yenico*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. *The Pride of Yenico* by Edgerton and Agnes Castle. Part One, Chapter One. Memoir of Captain Basil Yenico, begun apparently in great trouble and stress of mind at the castle of tolendal in moravia on the third day of the great storm late in the year seventeen seventy one as the wind rattles the casements with impotent clutch howls down the stair turret with the voice of a despairing soul creeps in long irregular waves between the tapestries and the granite walls of my chamber and wantons with the flames of logs and candles knowing as i do that outside the snow is driven relentlessly by the gale and that i can hope for no relief from the company of my wretched self for they who have learnt the temper of these wild mountain winds tell me the storm must last at least three days more in its fury i have bethought me to keep from going melancholy crazed altogether to set me some regular tasks to do and what can more fitly occupy my poor mind than setting forth as clearly as may be the diverse events that have brought me to this strange plight in this strange place although i fear me it may not in the end be over clear for in sooth i cannot even yet see a way through the confusion of my thoughts nay i could at times howl in unison with yonder dismal wind for mad regret and at times again rage and hiss and break myself like the fitful gale against the walls of this desolate house for anger at my fate and my folly but since i can no more keep my thoughts from wandering to her and wandering upon her than i can keep my hot blood from running running with such swiftness that here alone in the wide vaulted room with blasts from the four corners of the earth playing a very demon's dance around me i am yet all of a fever heat i will try whether by laying bare to myself all i know of her and of myself all i surmise and guess of the parts we acted towards each other in this business i may not at least come to some understanding some decision concerning the manner in which as a man i should comport myself in my most singular position having reached thus far in his writing the scribe after shaking the golden dust of the pounce-box over his page paused musing for a moment loosening with unconscious fingers the collar of his coat from his neck and gazing with wide grey eyes at the dancing flames of the logs and the little clouds of ash that ever and anon burst from the hearth with a spurt when particles of driven snow found their way down the chimney presently the pen resumed its travels everything began of course through my great-uncle yenico's legacy do i regret it i have sometimes cursed it nevertheless although tossed between conflicting regrets and yearnings i cannot in conscience wish it had not come to pass let me be frank bitter and troubling is my lot in the midst of my lonely splendour but through the mist which seems in my memory to separate the old life from the new those days of yesteryear for all their carelessness and fancy freedom seem now strangely dull yes it is almost a year already that it came this legacy by which a young englishman serving in his royal and imperial majesty's chevaux legers was suddenly transformed from an obscure rittmeister with little more worldly goods than his pay into one of the richest landowners in the broad empire the master of an historic castle on the bohemian marches it was indeed an odd turn of fortune's wheel 
but doubtless there is a predestination in such things unknown to man my great-uncle had always taken a peculiar interest in me some fifty years before my birth precluded by the religion of our family from any hope of advancement in the army of our own country he had himself entered the imperial service and when i had reached the age of manhood he insisted on my being sent to him in vienna to enter upon the same career to him i owe my rapid promotion after the turkish campaign of seventeen sixty nine but i question for all his influence at court whether i should have benefited otherwise than through his advice and interest had it not been for an unforeseen series of moves on the part of my elder brother at home one fine day it was announced to us that this latter had been offered and accepted a barony in the peerage of great britain at first it did not transpire upon what grounds a catholic gentleman should be so honoured and we were obliged my uncle and i to content ourselves with the impossible explanation that dear edmund's value and abilities and the great services he had rendered by his exertions in the last suffolk elections had been brought to the notice of his majesty who was thus graciously pleased to show his appreciation of the same our good mother who would not be the true woman she is did she not set a value on the honours of this world my excellent brother and of course his ambitious lady all agreed that it was a mighty fine thing for sir edmund yenico to become my lord rainswick and they sent us many grandiloquent missives to that effect but with my great-uncle things were vastly different to all appearance he had grown during the course of his sixty-odd years in the imperial service into a complete unmitigated foreigner who spoke english like a german if indeed the extraordinary jargon he used under the impression that it was his mother tongue could be so called as a matter of fact it would have been difficult to say what tongue was my great-uncle's own it was not english nor french not even the french of german courts nor true german but the oddest compound of all three with a strong peppering of slovak or hungarian according as the country in which he served suggested the adjunction a very persuasive compound it proved however when he took up his commanding voice poor man but foreigner as he was covered as his broad chest might be with foreign orders freely as he had spent his life's energy in the pay of a foreign monarch my great uncle yenico had too much english pride of race too much of the old yenico blood despite the same had been so often let for him by bavarian and hanoverian prussian french and turk to brook in peace what he considered a slight upon his grand family traditions now this was precisely what my brother had committed in the first place he had married a lady who i hear is amazingly handsome and sufficiently wealthy but about whose lineage it seems altogether unadvisable to seek clear information busy as he was in the midst of his last campaign my great-uncle who even in the wilds of bulgaria seemed to keep by some marvellous means in touch with what moves were being played by the family in distant suffolk nevertheless had the matter probed and the account he received was not of satisfactory nature i fear me that those around him then did not find the fierceness of his rule softened by the unwelcome news from that distant island of britain the yenicos although they had been degraded so my uncle maintained by the gift of a paltry baronetcy at the hands of charles the second as a reward for their bleeding losses in the royal cause were he declared of a stock with which blood royal itself might be allied without derogation the one great solace of his active life was a recapitulation of the deeds real or legendary that since the landing of the danes on saxon soil had marked the passage through history of those thirty-one authentic generations 
the twenty-ninth of which was so worthily represented by himself the worship of the name was with him an absolute craze it is undoubtedly to that craze that i owe my accession of fortune i and my present desolation of heart but to resume when therefore already dissatisfied with my brother's alliance he heard that the head of the family proposed to engraft upon it a different name a soi disant superior title his wrath was loud and deep eh quoi mille millions de donner blitzen what the toothful idiot think what you think i was present when the news arrived it was in his chancellery on the josefplatz at vienna i shall not lightly forget the old man's saffron face does that shafkoff brother of yours not verstand what to be means what thinkest thou would i be what i am were it not that i have ever known boy what i was geborn to when i was yenico geborn how comes it that i am what i am here how is it ye come thinkest thou that i have myself risen to the highest honour in the empire that i am field marshal this day above the heads of your princekins your grand duclings highnesses and serenities dooms thee with a parenthetical shake of his fist at the open paper on his desk how is it gicom that i wedded la belle heritiere de Voschuski, the most beautiful woman in silesia the richest pardi the noblest and his excellency methinks i see him now turned to me with sudden solemnity you will answer me he said in an altered voice you will answer me because you are a fool youth that i have become great general because i am the bravest soldier the cleverest commander of all the imperial troops that i to myself have won the lady for whom transparencies had sued in vain because of being the most beautiful man in the whole kaiserlicht service here the younger yenico for all the vexation of spirit which had suggested the labour of his systematic narrative as a distraction could not help smiling to himself as with pen raised towards the standish he paused for a moment to recall on how many occasions he had heard this explanation of the field marshal's success in life then the grating of the quill began afresh when my venerable relative came to this i being an irreverent young dog had much ado to keep myself from a great yell of laughter he was pleased to remark latterly in an approving mood that i was growing every day into a more living image of what he remembered himself to have been in the good times when he wore a cornet's uniform i should therefore have felt delicately flattered but the fact is that the tough old soldier if in the diverse accidents of war he had gathered much glory had not come off without a fine assortment of disfiguring wounds the ball that had passed through his cheeks at luthen had removed all his most ornamental teeth and had given the oddest set to the lower part of his countenance it was after colon that the sight of his left eye being suppressed by the butt end of a lance he had started that black patch which imparted a peculiar ferocity to his aspect although it seemed it is true to sharpen the piercing qualities of the remaining orb at hachirk where he culled some of his greenest laurels a prussian bullet in his knee forced on him the companionship of a stout staff for ever afterwards he certainly had been known in former days as le beau yenico but of its original cast of feature it is easy to conceive that after these repeated finishing touches his countenance bore but little trace but no the dear old man would say burying his desolate lower tusks at me and fixing me with his wild boar eye 
it is not to my beauty carl not to my courage carl that i owe success but because i am geborn yenico one man yenico geborn is man is geborn to all the rest to the beauty to the bravery when i wooed your late dante they mere ignorant poles said to me it is well you are honoured we know you honourable but are you born to wed a countess wuchuski one must be born one must show honoured sir they said at least seize courtiers attested in due proper form eh said i is that all say you you shall have sixteen quarterings sixteen quarterings bah you shall have sixteen quarterings beyond that and then sixteen again and you shall then learn what it is to be called yenico and i simply wrote to the office of heralds in london what man calls college of arms for them to look up the records of yenico and draw out a right proper pedigree of the family spare no cost right up to the date of king Cunot, eh? oh ay ay carlgen you should have seen the roll of parchment that was in time gesent and le yuki fit monsieur mon beau pere my excellent great-uncle said mon pau bear when they were g open to what it means to be well-born english a well-born man never knows his blood as he should until he sets himself to trace it through all the veins blood royal junker blood royal once danish two times plantagenet and one stuart but that a strong dose <laughs> ay ay the merry monarch as the schoolboys say had wide paternity though verstel seek his daughter who my gross mutter became was noble also by her mother up it goes high hoit thou shalt see for thyself when thou comest to tollendal na ya thou shalt study it too it all runs in thy veins also forget it not and of all her treasures your aunt would always tell me there was none she prized more in the document relating to her family she had it unrolled upon her bed when she could no longer use her limbs and she used to trace out crying now and then the poor soul what her boy would have carried of honour if he had lived ah twas a million pity she never bore me another tis the only reproach that turf me made her i have consoled myself hitherto with the thought of my nephew's youthling but potch blitz this edmund now that of our family ach the verdammt hound tossin donnern and bombin and my great-uncle's guttural voice would come rumbling like gathering thunder indeed and rise to a frightful bellow to barter his fine old name for the verdammt mummery of baron rainswick rainswick pooh the creation of this hanover dog and what does he give on his side to drive this fine bargain la la sprack to me not i mislike it nephew i tell thee i doubt me but there is something hinter in it yet nephew bishop he then went on this day i speak of if i were not seventy-three years old i would marry again i would to have an heir by heaven that the true race might not die out and despite his wall-eye his jaw his game-leg his generally disastrous aspect i believe he might have been as good as his threat his seventy and three years notwithstanding but what really deterred him from such a rash step was his belief although he would not gratify me by saying so 
that there was at hand as good a yinico as he could wish for and that one myself basil and he saw in me a purer sproutling of that noble island race of the north that he was so fiercely proud of than he could have produced by marriage with a foreigner for thorough imperial as he now was and notwithstanding his early foreign education which had begun in the stuart regiments of the french king the dominant thought in the old warrior's brain was that a very law of nature required the gentle-born sons of such a country to be honoured as leaders among foreign men and great was the array of names he could summon should any one be rash enough to challenge the assertion butlers and lallies browns and jerninghams by gad keiths and dillons and berwicks morbleu fermors loudons and lacies and how many more if necessary ay and yenicos not the least of them i should hope terum tete i did not think that my brother had bettered himself by the change and still less could i concur in the turncoat policy he had thought fit to adopt in order to buy from a hanoverian king and a bigoted house of lords this accession of honour for my uncle was not far wrong in his suspicions and in truth it did not require any strong perspicacity to realise that it was not for nothing my brother was thus distinguished i mean not for his merits which amounts to the same thing i made strong efforts to keep the tidings of his cowardly defection from my uncle but family matters were not as i have said to be hidden from field marshal edmund von jenico i believe the news hastened his dissolution repeated fits of anger are pernicious to gouty veterans of explosive temper it was barely three weeks after the arrival of the tidings of my brother having taken the oaths in his seat in the house of lords that i was summoned by a messenger hotfoot from the little frontier town where i was quartered with my squadron to attend my great-uncle's deathbed it was a sixteen hours ride through the snow i reached this frowning old strong-house late at night hastened by a reminder at each relay ready prepared for me hastened by the servants stationed at the gate hastened on the stairs at his very door the door of this room i found him sitting in his armchair almost a corpse already fully conscious grimly triumphant thou shalt have it all was the first thing he whispered to me as i knelt by his side his voice was so low that i had to bend my ear to his mouth but the pride of race had never seemed to burn with brighter flame Elise is dine, Elise Haber. He caught at me with his claw-like hand, cold already with the very chill of earth. Remember that thou, the last Yenico beast, royal blood, Curlchen, Canute, Plantagenet, Sturt, noblesse oblige, remember, bring no rotulier into the family. His hideout who had endured his testy temper and his rigid rule for forty years suddenly gave a kind of gulp like a sob from behind the chair where he stood rigid on duty at his proper post but with his hands instead of resting correctly on hip and sword handle joined in silent prayer a striking-looking man for all his short stature with his extraordinary breadth of shoulders his small piercing eyes his fantastically hard features all pock-seared that seemed carved out of some swarthy worm-eaten old oak thou fool hissed my uncle impatiently turning his head at the sound and making a vain attempt to seek the ever-present staff with his trembling fingers basil crack me the knave on the skull then he paused a moment looked at the clock and said in a significant way it is time janos 
the high duck instantly moved and left the room to return promptly ushering in a number of the retainers who had evidently been gathered together and kept in attendance against my arrival they ranged themselves silently in a row behind janos and the dying man in a feeble voice and with a shadow of a gesture towards me but holding them all the while under his piercing look said two or three times your master men your master whereupon janos leading the way every man of them household steward huntsmen overseers foresters hussars came forward kissed my hand and retired in silence then the end came rapidly he wandered in his speech and was back in the past with dead and gone comrades at the very last he rallied once more fixed me with his poor eye that i had never seen dim before and spoke with consciousness thou the last yinuku remember be true till a renegade i rejoice his shame striketh not us tell him that he did well to change his name curl gender son thou art young and strong breed a fine stock no rotor but sell and settle sell and settle those words came upon his last sigh his eye flashed once and then the light was extinguished thus he passed his dying thought was for the worthy continuance of his race i found myself the possessor so the tabellions informed me some days later of many millions reckoned by the florins of this land besides the great property of tolendal fertile plains as well as wild forests and of this same isolated frowning castle with its fathom-thick walls its odd pictures of half-savage dead and gone vochuskis its antique clumsy furniture tapestries trophies of chase and war master moreover of endless tribes of dependents hyducks and foresters females of all ages whose bare feet in summer patter oddly on the floors like the tread of animals whose high boots in winter clatter perpetually on the stone flags of stairs and corridors serf peasants factors overseers the strangest mixture of races that can be imagined slovaks bohemians poles to labour on the glebe saxons or austrians to rule over them and cipher out rosters and returns magyars who condescend to manage my horseflesh and watch over my safety if nothing else the travelling bands of gypsies ever-changing but never failing with the dance the song and the music which is as indispensable as salt to the life of that motley population and i who in a more rational order of things might have been leading the life of a young squire at home became sovereign lord of all wielding feudal power over strings of vassals who deemed it great honour to bend the knee before me and kiss my hand no doubt in the beginning it was vastly fine especially as so much wealth meant freedom for my first act on my return after the expiration of my furlough was to give up the duties of regimental life irksome and monotonous in these piping days of peace then i must hie me to vienna and there for the first time of my life of six-and-twenty years taste the joy of independence in vienna are enough of dashing sparks and beautiful women of princes and courtiers gamblers and rakes to teach me how to spend some of my new-found wealth in a manner suitable to so fashionable a person as myself but how astonishingly soon one accustoms oneself to luxury and authority 
it is but three months ago that having drained the brimming cup of pleasure to the dregs i found its first sweetness cloying its first alluring sparkle almost insufferable that having basked in perpetual smiles i came to weary of so much favour winning at play had no fascination for a man with some thirty thousand pounds a year at his back and losing large slices of that patrimony which had i felt been left me under an implied trust was dully galling to my conscience i was so uniformly fortunate also in the many duels in which i was involved among the less favoured through the kindness which the fair ladies of vienna and bude began to show to le beau yenico the old dictum had been revived in my favour that after disabling four of my newly found best friends even so piquant an entertainment lost all pretence of excitement and with the progress of dissolution concerning the pleasure of idleness and wealth grew more pressing the still small voice which murmured at my ear that it was not for such an end not for the gratification of a mere libertine gambler and duellist that my great-uncle yenico had selected me as the depositary of his wealth and position sell and settle sell and settle the old man's words had long enough been forgotten it was high time to begin mastering the intricacies of that vast estate if ever i was to turn it to the profit of that stream of noble yenicos to come and in my state of satiety the very remoteness of my new property its savageness its proud isolation invested it with an odd fascination from one day to the other i determined on departure and left the emptiness of the crowd to seek the fullness of this wild and beautiful country here for a time i tasted interest in life again knew a sort of well-filled peace felt my soul expand with renewed vigour keenness for work and deeds hope and healthy desire self-pride and satisfaction then came the foolish adventure which has left me naked and weak in the very midst of my wealth and power which has left rudderless an existence that had set sail so gaily for glorious happiness the bell of the horloge from its snow-capped turret overlooking the gate of honour in the stronghold of tolendal slowly tolled the tenth hour of that tempestuous night and the notes resounded in the room now strongly vibrating now faint and distant as the wind paused for a second or bore them away upon its dishevelled wing upon the last stroke as basil yenico was running over the last page of his fair paper the door behind him creaking on its hinges was thrown open by janos the hyda displaying in the next chamber a wide table lit by two six-branched chandeliers and laid for the evening meal the twelve yellow tongues of flame glinted on the silver the cut glass and the snow-white napery but only to emphasize the sombre death of the medieval room the desolate eloquence of that solitary seat at the huge board janos waited till his master with weary gesture had cast his pen aside and then ceremoniously announced that his lordship's supper was ready impatiently enough did the young man dip his fingers in the augier of perfumed water that a damsel on his right offered to him as he passed through the great doors drying them on the cloth handed by another on his left frowning he sat him down in his high-backed chair behind which the high duck stood ready to present each dish as it was brought up by other menials to keep the beaker constantly filled to answer with a bow any observation that he might make should the lord feel disposed to break silence but to-night the lord of tolendal was less disposed than ever in such a direction he chafed at the long ceremony 
resented the presence of these creatures who had seen her sit as their mistress at that table where now lay naught but vacancy beyond the white cloth resented even in the silent solicitude that lurked in Janos's eyes though the latter never broke unauthorized his rule of silence the generous wine in the stillness and the black solitude bred presently a yet deeper melancholy after a perfunctory meal the young man waved aside a last glass of the amber toquet that was placed at his hand rose and moodily walked to and fro for some time feeling that the coming hours had no sleep in reserve for a mind in such turmoil as his he returned to his writing-table and whilst janos directed the servants to bring in and trim fresh candles and pile more logs upon the hearth basil yenico resumed his task end of part one chapter one